I'm Randall Alquist, and I have a passion for story, hearing and sharing journeys of ordinary people who live extraordinary lives. The Long-Haired Pastor podcast is about meaningful discussions with amazing people who love Jesus. Through our time together, we're going to grow in our understanding of God's plan and purposes for our lives, as well as have a great time. Get ready to be inspired and challenged by God to take that next spiritual step. Okay, grab a cup of coffee and let's dive in. On today's podcast, we'll be hanging out with John Mark Pantana, a singer, songwriter, worshiper, pastor, and roofer. John Mark has well over 6 million streams on Spotify alone and has 196,000 monthly listeners on the same platform. His poetic lyrics and ethereal vocals set him apart in a plethora of Christian music out there that can sound similar in what they say and how they sound. John's story, his process, and passion will inspire you to run in the direction of God's unique purpose for your life. Today's guest, I am so excited to introduce you to. He's one of my favorite artists, and I don't probably have to say that because he's on my podcast, but I actually really mean it. Like, like he is so sick. And and the funny thing about John Mark is, dude, I I was I was a fan for a long time, for like a couple of years already. And then getting to meet you and hang out with you this spring was amazing. Turns out that John Mark goes to the same church that my son goes to up in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I was trying to turn my son onto this this new artist. I was trying to be hip and cool. And I was like, dude, you got to check this dude out. And he's like, dad, that guy goes to my church. And I was like, no way. I love this dude. So, so John, when I first met you, you were such a contradiction to me. I, uh, uh, seriously, because you have like such a, an angelic voice and it's so poetic and stuff. And you're like this rugged, like... Like West Virginian dude, man. You're like, well, how tall are you? Like six three, six four, six five, six five. Okay, that's why yeah. I felt very small next to you. <laughs> um, you know, but but you are um, honestly, you, you've just blessed me so much, and I've turned on so many people to your music. A lot of people at my church listen to your stuff, and and uh, I just don't know why you're not more more famous yet man but anyways <laughs> it's a privilege to have you on 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 the show and um i want to kind of rewind a little bit i know you grew up with your parents going hard after god mm-hmm. and and they hauled you and your two brothers around in a van from church to church uh, is we, that right we planted when i was in the first grade in lynchburg which is hometown so i got a more stable more uh consistent childhood than my bros did is anybody else in your family still in ministry no so you're the man. You're the legacy man. <laughs> Who knew oh, no. the young one would be the legacy, <laughs> the pot smoking gamer man. <laughs> oh, that's Nobody so awesome, that man. Coming. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> so, what was your progression of faith in God? I mean, I know there were some miscellaneous years in the center there. And, you know, obviously your parents were Christians. They they went from church to church, right? Singing, traveling, um, musical artists went to church from church singing. So you were brought yeah. up in a home that was pretty serious about their relationship with Jesus. Now, tell me, like, uh, what has your journey been like? Yeah, so mom and pops were in a Southern Gospel family quartet. <laughs> yeah. Singing Southern Gospel music. Hmm. And um, went from church to church, lived off of love offerings. And wow. uh, they sang at Thomas Road in Lynchburg, uh, like at the old time gospel hour with Jerry Falwell, the whole bit. Wow. Yeah. And then when we planted in Lynchburg, my mom was the, the piano teacher at, at Liberty Christian Academy. Uh, well, back then was Lynchburg Christian Academy. She taught everybody piano. And uh, yeah, so I was immersed in... Uh, Christianity, church, Christian, private education, youth group, the whole bit. And uh, I was the kid at Christian chapel that walked the aisle every Thursday. 
to get resaved and said the sinner's prayer again to maybe oh, seal dude. the. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that one. I, I I got saved probably I think seven or eight times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I lost track honestly because it just didn't feel like it ever stuck. Right. And then, um, you know, just especially when they would bring in new speakers all the time. Right. Everybody's teaching something a little different, kind of. Yeah. So as a as a growing young man immersed in Christianity, very afraid that you're going to be, you know quote unquote, left behind, or you're not, uh, you're not saved or whatever it is. You just, you're just really trying to make sure you're afraid that it's not real. Well, I was looking at my sin. Well, I was never getting free from it. Well, you've settled it. I'm always loved forever right with you. Oh, what a grand sign. And so by the eighth grade, when we settled in Lynchburg, going to Christian school for eight years, having listened to countless messages and gone to countless uh, Bible classes, youth groups, etc., I, uh, I actually threw my hands up even as a 13-year-old boy and said, I can't do this and don't want to do this anymore. Wow. And so uh, I ended up kind of becoming a closet atheist a bit and didn't tell mom and pops that I don't believe in God anymore. But um, but, did, but you were playing the role, right? I was playing the role. Okay. So, see, yeah, that that's a difficult place to be in, man, because you don't know what <laughs> your identity is. I, I, I had a similar um, thing happen to me when I was a, a younger man. I came to Christ. Um but I didn't, and I was so in love with Jesus for like a month, you know, but I didn't know what the next step was. Nobody ever taught me how to read the Bible. Nobody ever taught me how to pray. I was just kind of like, I, I, I thought it was all feeling. Um, and when the feeling started to wear off, so did my faith, but right. I didn't want to let anybody know. Um, it was almost like, and that's a difficult place to be in, right? Because you're pretending to be somebody you're not. And then we carry that with us. Um, and, and it's really about finding your identity individually as a young man at that age anyways, let alone knowing what your identity in Christ is. I never felt a pressure that if I wasn't didn't believe what they believed that I would be rejected. It wasn't any of that from my home. Um, but uh, I still, you know, just, I guess, uh, made up in my mind. I didn't want to, yeah. I was still trying to figure it out. So I didn't want to tell mom, but mom and dad. So where, so at what point did you go from the 13 year old, um, closet atheist, just not shaking your head and saying, God, if this isn't real, man, I'm done. Um, I, I you know, I have searched, I've tried, I've stepped up, but kind of again, I just, for something, for some reason, you're just not clicking, <laughs> um, where you, because you went to Liberty University at that point was a Christian university, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So after 13, so I ended up dipping out of Christian Academy and I got addicted to video games that summer. And I, uh, I basically binged on a five-year World of Warcraft addiction <laughs> for the next five and a half years. I only ate chicken nuggets every day. I played video games 16 hours a day. Um, so plunged into the depths and the bowels of internet, <laughs> all my addictions and really became a pretty foul person <laughs> on the internet. It happens when you, when you delve into the internet. But, uh, so I was, so I'm 19 and I'm six years into five, six years into a video game addiction. My brother Philip says, you should listen to this guy. He's getting kicked out of Baptist churches for preaching the gospel. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to a guy who gets kicked out of Baptist churches. So uh, I listened to him at two o'clock in the morning. It was the most terrifying message I've ever heard. It wasn't the gospel at all. It was a fear-based, big time fear-based message, but it scared yeah. the... Scared the hell out of you. It scared right? me. Yeah. It scared me. And, <laughs> and it scared the hell in me, honestly. Um, and so... Um, I remember kind of sitting on the corner of my bed after having a video game addiction for six years. Mm -hmm. And at that point I had developed an incredible amount of self-hatred and, uh, felt very far away from God and was de developing a pretty deep depression. If you, you know, six years of isolation. Um, I ended up leaving the video game addiction, moving in with my oldest brother, Philip, and 
asking God if he was real to show himself to me. And I had a pretty minor, like, uh, peace uh, experience with Jesus a couple months later and started pursuing Jesus and Christianity again. That's when I enrolled in Liberty University, which is, again, a private Christian higher education. And really for the next three three years or so, again, I roller coastered up and down in my relationship with God. And at the forefront, really wow. the foundation of my struggle was, I don't know if I'm right with God. I'm struggling with to believe I'm still saved. I'm struggling to believe if I've committed the unpardonable sin. When I think I've lost my way, well, I know what I say. When I'm feeling the pain, I ended up uh, at 19. That's when I started when I playing music for the first time and started leading worship at a, at a local church. But even as a worship pastor, worship leader at the age of 19, going to Liberty for the first three years, um, you know, I ended up putting that mask on again when I, you know, I, did, I, you know, I wasn't finding any freedom over addiction. I wasn't finding abundant life. I couldn't hear God's voice. I struggled with, I felt like every part of Christianity, I would read the Bible and be confused, feel condemned. And I felt like I just didn't know who God was at all still, still struggling with doubts of salvation. And after three years of that, I gave up again, left the faith again. Yeah. And I remember I was talking to my best bud at the time and I looked over at him. We were leaving a class from Liberty and I said, hey, man, what's what's the Christian life like for you? And he didn't know how badly I was struggling with it. But he was like, I mean, it's it's good, man. What do you mean? And I'm like, I'm just I'm at a point where I don't think I can do this anymore, man. And I told him the whole spiel, like everybody's still stuck in addiction and everyone's Everyone in my circle, it's just like, it's all who's right and who's wrong, but I don't see anybody walking in abundant life or power. And I haven't seen, I've never seen a miracle and all the stuff in the Bible, it's like just non-existent. And it just all seems so fake. Everybody seems like they put a mask on and myself included. And it's just like, what is this? I can't do this. So I basically end up in my heart saying, God, you're not, if you are real, you're the worst ever. I can't ever get your approval. Every time I try, it's not enough. And when I fail, it's a guilt fest. It seems like you're the most conditional person I've ever met. Every time I mess up, you distance yourself and you're not lifting a finger to help me. I'm out. Peace. Wow. (laughs) So uh, out of genuineness and frustration with the Christian walk I was walking, I left. And the first thing that I bumped into was pot. It was marijuana. I'd never smoked pot at that point or done drugs. And I really fell in love with it. Uh, it, was a, it was a good escape for me. Um, and um, hmm. Let me ask you a question about the correlation between what you felt like weed gave you that God didn't. Was there, were you, were you lacking like that presence when you were with God or when you were worshiping, even as a young worship leader, were you ever like saturated in his presence? And and did weed give you something that kind of felt real <laughs> that you may have been searching for in God? I, I'll be honest, when I, you know, I, I went through a season two where I, I smoked and uh, it was a short season, but it felt pretty amazing at the time because it was transcendental. It was like, if, if that makes any sense, it was just like, man, I, I feel outside of myself, right? And when I came into this relationship with Christ, and of course, you know, when you experience the presence of God, everything changes. Um, the atmosphere changes. I mean, God is an atmosphere changing presence, right? I mean, I, you know, my, my son also was talking about this the other day. He said, God, there's dad, there's no drug that compares with this feeling right here. Cause we were in my back office here, just worshiping together. But it, it, was there a correlation of like, this feels, this feels real to me where God didn't feel real to me. Yeah. So up until that point, uh, I had not had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So the experiential part of Christianity was very foreign to me. Mm. And at that point it was all 
head knowledge. Even when as a worship leader, it was all logical, all head knowledge. Not a whole lot of experiential moments with the Holy Spirit at all. So, uh, yeah, when I became a pothead and left all that, it felt like a breath of fresh air, to be completely honest. <laughs> and um, there's obviously a false sense of like uh, camaraderie community around the whole thing. But, um, you know, I delved into it pretty hard and really enjoyed it. But really, I, I tell people, deep in my heart stood a lost, confused, condemned Baptist boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an awful picture. <laughs> I would play on what I, what I felt like everyone was going through, which was a crappy Christian life no freedom from addiction. And so I would play on that and say, come on. And I would entice, very similar to the devil, <laughs> to entice people into sin. That was where my heart was because I was very angry with God. So I just honestly had the worst opinion you could have of God. Mm. And I wanted to shove it to him. Okay, so, so now we have you in college, um, graduating a Christian university. Once again, you decided that, I mean, how many times am I going to take a stab at this thing? You, you really got to the point where you left, you gave God an ultimatum, right? And said, dude, you're not helping me out. I'm trying to find you. This is, this is jacked up. Like I'm getting more pleasure out of my friends who are smoking weed and just being real with each other than pretending that we're worshiping some unseeable, unknowable unrelational God. And that's a pretty heavy place to be in. So yeah, what happened after you graduated? Because you can listen to your music and know that you've encountered the Holy Spirit because you, you feel his presence when you're listening to it. What was the thing that triggered or that catapulted your faith? Or maybe even, why don't you tell us about that first experiential contact with the Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. Um, I love talking about that. So, yeah, I was a pothead for two years. I graduated Liberty. It took me five years to graduate, super senior. Liberty, um, they placed me at an internship at a mega Baptist church uh, out in Arkansas. Never been there before. Googled Arkansas. It made me really afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 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 for the people listening to this podcast... John Mark is not a little boy, all right? So when he says he made him afraid, he's like a 6'5 dude who's a roofer. He's got a roofer's build. He's, he's no, so it's just funny that you, I, they were probably afraid of you, man. Uh, I, I, I wanted to ask you this, too. Like, what, what was your major at Liberty? I changed majors nine times. Uh, I didn't want to do ministry or music, to say the least, after my whole experience. I was nursing for a while, communications for a while, health for a while, changed it. Eventually, I was like, I just got to finish. And I ended up with a music degree with a, a specialization in songwriting. Go figure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> See what God was doing. All right. Yeah, God was still doing stuff, even though I was a doofus. Um, so, so, <laughs> yeah. so, I get shipped out to Arkansas and... Uh, at that point, still running away from God in my heart. Don't want anything yeah. really to do with them. And three weeks into my internship at this church, I am on a Saturday making some routine runs to Walmart. And I, uh, I don't remember even how this message came on my phone, but I started listening to this, this message. The end of the message he, he reads my mail. He gets prophetic words, and he says, there's someone right now, you're listening in your car. He just tells, basically tells me my yes. story. You've been going through this, and you've been asking God to show himself to you, and you've been waiting a really long time, and God wants you to call him dad right now. And I knew it was me, 100% it was me. You know, um, <laughs> it was this weird, like, time still, still moment. Yeah. And for the first time in my entire life as a 20 three 24 year old boy still at that point i i said to god alone in my car dad and as soon as i said that rushed my vehicle i could feel him hear him and he he hugs me it was like he hugged me from behind and he bear hugs me and it says in the prodigal son's story that when the father ran 
to the prodigal son, he fell on his neck with many kisses. <laughs> and that's yeah. what I experienced. And in that moment, God's father's affection uh, really enraptured me. And I knew without any shadow of any doubt that God was my father, I was his son, and he delighted in me. He was proud of me. The same blood that flowed through his veins flowed through mine. And that there was nothing I could ever do that would take his affection away. Um, and his, he had set his affection on me. He was my dad and I was his son. And that's just all there was to it. And I experienced it. laughing and joyous thunder applause of me and I had no idea why he was proud of me I, I said God I think you just messed up you got the wrong guy I've been you realize what I've been Amen, doing for man. the past couple years you know right <laughs> you remember all this stuff I was doing um, and so it ruined my theology it ruined everything that I had been taught and basically I said, you know what? I want the real thing. If that's what you're like, I want to drink and know you. I want to know that more. Give me the real thing. Bump everything else. I don't care what anybody says is right or wrong. I want the real thing. So that happened and it began my Holy Spirit journey with God. And wow, what a difference. What a night and day difference of old versus new. And the hunger for God's presence was just insatiable. I would read the Bible 10 hours a day and it felt like eating a feast. I was thirsting after God's presence like a deer pants for water and it was a good drink. And the Holy Spirit was teaching me the scriptures, the same scriptures I had read my whole life that, that condemned me. Jesus like lifted a veil from my eyes, like Paul's scales that got lifted off his eyes. and. It was like the words were fire and they were just punching me in the best way in the chest. And my heart was radiating with affection when I read God's word. And all of the, you know, the confusing passages that had always tripped me up my whole life, the Holy Spirit was teaching me and showing me how, how they had been twisted and by wrong beliefs and bad doctrines, I had been tied up and bound up. And that the, the um, you know, the power of teaching and of a teacher is that if they're rooted in a lie, they bind people. But if they're rooted in the truth, they set people free. And yeah. And so over the next three years, I slowly and surely got set free from every addiction that I had been trying to be set free from my whole life. And yet it was in the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't actually put forth self-effort to be set free. I actually enjoyed the affection of Jesus. I got rooted in truth. And I remember looking back six months to a year after that experience and thinking, oh my gosh, who am I? I don't even recognize myself anymore. Oh, I haven't, I haven't been plunged into pornography addiction in six months and I didn't even necessarily even realize it. I was so enraptured by the love of God. It was like the power of the Holy Spirit in me did all the work that I couldn't ever do in my own strength, my old Christian life. So it was a huge contrast of old versus new. Um, I, I was hearing God's voice every day. I was praying for people in gas stations for their that backs awesome. to be healed and God was healing people. And I thought it was the first time God had ever performed a miracle since Jesus was on the earth. Honestly, I <laughs> lived in, su I lived in uh, such a bubble. The anointing fell right on his favorite son. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I felt That's like God's awesome. beloved son in whom he, you know, was well pleased. And I was like, this is going to be a new movement. I didn't have a compass for it. I lived in this little bubble. And so really started experiencing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gifts, started walking and healing, started hearing God's voice clearly. I struggled to believe if I was right with God my whole life. When the good news of grace 
in the scriptures unveiled in my heart that that Christ himself, Jesus himself, has become our righteousness as a gift to receive. The old covenant is a covenant where righteousness is earned by our behavior. The new covenant of grace is righteousness is a gift we receive. And if Jesus is in right standing with God, so am I. Because the new covenant of God's grace is a covenant between the Father and the Son. And I'm in the Son. I'm hidden in Christ, clothed in Christ. He's my high priest. He represents me to God in every way. If he's in good standing with God, so am I, because my identity, who I am in Christ, is who I really am. And it's this beautiful message that Christ has become our right standing, our righteousness towards God, where the old was earned righteousness, the new is gift righteousness. Our job is to simply rest, which is faith in what Christ has done, to leave the rags of self-righteousness, to stop trusting in our own efforts, And so that really gave me a solid foundation to stand on. You can only dance on a solid foundation. I never had that solid foundation of righteousness by faith, which I believe is the core of the gospel. It says the power of God is in the gospel. And in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And the righteousness of God has appeared apart from the works of the law. The law and the prophets have witnessed this righteousness, which is Jesus himself. And so it's just like that reality of our oneness with Christ. We've died with Christ, our old nature, our sins have died with Christ, and we've been risen to Christ, with Christ in new life with a new nature, new righteous nature. And our righteousness is in him. We're the bride of Christ, clothed with him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. It all deeply rooted in my heart, and I just had a dance party, enjoyment of God. And I had peace, man, for the first time, deep-rooted peace. I am right with God. There's nothing that can change it because Jesus is now my confidence. And when I mess up, when I mess up, when I do something wrong, I just root myself further in the good news. And it actually kills the cycle of sin when you do that. It says that grace is the power over sin. You know, when you, when you find yourself in cycles of guilt and shame, it actually continues the cycle of addiction and sin. It's crazy, man, because until talking to you on this podcast, I didn't realize we I, I got saved in a Southern Baptist church in Palm Springs, California. This a little, little teeny community. I got saved and baptized within the first two weeks I was there. Right. But again, I didn't have an experiential. I, I got saved at a one of these youth conferences things. This guy was up on the stage. There was a punk rock band called God Rules. <laughs> It was, it was crazy. I was like, what the heck is going on? But I had, you know, I came out of, you know, all kinds of stuff, childhood sexual abuse and, and diverse parents and all these things. When the guy got up there on the platform at the end of this whole thing and started talking about this unconditional love and this righteousness, I had so much guilt as a eighth, eighth grade kid. I mean, how old are you in eighth grade? 12, 13. 12, 13. When he started talking, you couldn't have held me back. I ran up there so quick, man, I just wanted that. And God overwhelmed me with his love. I, I remember they went home and threw away all my records. You know, I, I, I took out all my stuff and this is good for God. I'm, I'm keeping this, this is bad for God and separated all that stuff. And then I realized, hey man, I know that that felt good, but you start questioning it, right? Um, because if it's, if it's only one encounter and it's only this overwhelming sort of hyped up um, reality, it can only last but this, this long. I maintained the guilt. I maintained the fear that if, if it was real and I, I wasn't participating, <laughs> that I would, be, I would be left behind. You know, like I was going, I'm sure I'm going to hell if I don't still like go to church and act like a good kid and then secretly, you know, go do whatever I wanted with my girlfriend yeah. or go party, whatever the case may be. And and it was many years later. My wife and I were young. I was working in New York City as a fashion photographer, managing his big production facility. And our second child was born. And six weeks in, she we had to rush her to the hospital because she was having all these complications. Long story short, she literally dies on the table as they're giving her a spinal tap. This is a little baby, you know. And they were able to revive her, but they told us she had this incurable disease. They, they gave her a life estimation of between 16, I think, and 18. And um, 
we found ourselves in a situation where I, my wife had no idea anything about Jesus, right? Had no interest in it. She was raised Catholic, but really wasn't raised Catholic. They were priesters, you know, they went for Christmas and Easter. At one point I took her to see Jesus Christ Superstar in Philadelphia. And she didn't, she was like, she was, she didn't know that Jesus died. Like she was shocked. Like what? He dies. You know, it was like, I was looking at her like, who are you? Everybody knows this story. So there's, so her, her naivete was like crazy off the wall. I was 27. She was 25. Um, with this daughter who was dying. There was a bunch of other stuff happening. We're standing in our brownstone in Jersey city. I, I looked at her and said, listen, baby, we're going to, we have two options. We can either give her the best life we can for as long as we have her, or we can pray and ask Jesus to heal her. And she looked at me and was like, almost in disgust, like, what are you talking about? Like, who are you? And John Mark, this was like, you know, I was, I was drinking. I was a fighter. I talk about anger. I had so much anger in me. And we stood there holding hands, this young couple, you know, in a in our brownstone. I just said, Jesus, man, I need you. I need you to show up for my baby. And I know that this isn't what you want for <laughs> and that you have the power to change it. And uh, like that, he healed her. Well, we had her tested twice because the doctors couldn't believe it. But she was she was 100 percent healed. Um, she's getting married this wow. summer. You know, she's 23. God showed up, dude. The, the whole point of that is like, like, he, like the Holy Spirit saying, yeah. "I want you to wow. call me. I want you to call me Daddy." Or God showing up in the middle of your car, you know, or in the parking lot or wherever you were, and saying, "I want you to call me Daddy." I stood as a desperate son and threw an audible to my wife and said, "Look, I know I haven't told you this, but I believe in Jesus, and I had no idea that Jesus. I was same as you. That's why I was laughing. Like I had no idea Jesus was still in the healing game, right? I had no idea, <laughs> and and I threw this out, and he actually healed her, bro. And it was like, you love me that much, right? You love me that much to show up in the midst of my mess, in the midst of my running, in the midst of my denial, and overwhelm me with like this unbelievable extravagant love and 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 i and i love the way you talk about the holy spirit bro i love the way you talk about identity in christ and understanding that we share the identity with christ like this is it's it's so crazy that you know that 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 we are considered righteous and, and it's because of who he is and who we are in him and he in us and and so I, I love that you speak so beautifully of that. When I listen to your music, it's out of that resource. It's out of that understanding of identity, this understanding of the beautiful nature of the Father, the beautiful nature of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus that you write. You can't listen to a John Mark um, Pantana song and be like, nah, this guy doesn't love God. <laughs> it's just like it's not like it's and it's it's not like traditional worship music right but it's so it's so intimate bro and it's such a slow dance with the holy spirit it's like i when i when i when i worship to your music man i just sit back and i like picture jesus like sitting on some driftwood hanging out with you and her hanging out with me we're playing the guitar there's a fire going he's cooking up some fish you know what i mean it's just like this beautiful, intimate, like, peace and this, this breath of heaven. And your love is better than life. Your love is sweeter than wine. Your love is better than life. Your love is sweeter than the sweetest And, 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 and the way you describe peace and this, this breath of heaven that you experience, right? When, when you're walking in the understanding of who you are in Christ, that that is the breath of heaven. That's just, it's that peaceful, that atmosphere, that's just, it's just that atmosphere, man, that tells the storm to, to lay down, right? It's just such a beautiful thing. And um, so that's a good transition for me. What does the process of like putting your heart to music look like for you? Up until that point of experiencing the Holy Spirit and then the three years of the, of the uh, intoxication of God <laughs> in the Bible, just jumping into the word. Amen. I, at that point, had written zero songs about God that weren't really lame and terrible. 
<laughs> because it was a reflection. Your name is Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. <laughs> it was a reflection of my relationship with God. My relationship yeah. with God was lame, and so, so was my expression of it. I didn't write any music at all in Arkansas for those three years. I read the Word and enjoyed God. There was no expression of music. People didn't even know I played music, I don't think, in Arkansas. And I was, it was refreshing. And uh, was just enjoying and be, becoming a friend of God. And, you know, getting to know what he, how he liked his coffee. <laughs> you know, just getting to uh, please tell me Jesus drinks his coffee black. Was, if he uses oh a lot of creamer and sugar, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh my goodness, I'm I'm not gonna go into it. <laughs> oh shoot, uh, it's just an expression, you know. Getting to know the uh, the intimate details of the personality of a person of God. Getting yeah. to know, you know, becoming rooted, planted in the family of God. And so that happens for three years, and then I, God calls me back to my hometown, Lynchburg. Uh, end up leaving two two jobs and a relationship, and moved back to plant house churches on a salary of zero dollars with my oldest brother Philip. And um, I would say a couple weeks into that, I was downstairs in my mom's basement, the same the same uh, house that I was addicted to video games for five years, the same house that I grew up in, and. Um, down there in the den and all of a sudden I woke up one morning and the Holy Spirit said to me my love is better than life and I said that's so true God I'm hungry I'm going to go eat some breakfast (laughs) (laughs) so I get up I go get some breakfast I'm eating breakfast and the Holy Spirit says my love is better than life itself I said you're so right you said it again I believe that I (laughs) go back downstairs and again for the third time and that just my love is better than life itself. I was like, I think the Holy Spirit wants me to worship right now. So I pick up my guitar, and the first thing I write for years is, Your love is better than life. I, read, I write sweeter than wine. And uh, it was a beautiful worship moment between uh, me and, and God. I started speaking and praying in heavenly languages for the first time when I was in Arkansas, and it was love whispers. I never really did it publicly or anything like that. Um, And it became a really beautiful way to worship God in the private and to express music and worship simultaneously. And so I would pray and sing in heavenly languages and then sing words directly from my heart spontaneously to God. And that's really the birthplace of all the music that I've written is enjoying the living person of Jesus, enjoying intimacy, communion with the Holy Spirit and Father's affection in the dance of God. Um, And that's just how it expressed out of me was through music. And it was from worship. Even the song, for example, It's You, the fourth song on my first album, Mighty Grace. That was, uh, that was an hour worship session. I just cut four minutes of it and threw it on, a, on an iPhone album. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, you know? man. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the expression of music that you can feel God on is because it was from a real place of enjoying God. That's really the heart of the music is enjoyment of God, worshiping. Your music is an outflow from your intimacy with the Father. Would you say that? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Like I said, you know, I couldn't write a good song about Jesus to save my life before. And then once my cup was overflowing, it was like I had so much to give. I had so much deposited in me so much truth that had transformed my life, so much intimate experiential knowledge of who God is that I had things to communicate. I had a message that I believed in. I 
I believe that God opened my eyes and grounded my heart in the gospel of grace. And I believe with all my heart that the gospel of grace is the power of God unto salvation into every area of my life and your life. And I believe it strongly. It changed my life and I believe it can change every person's heart on planet earth. I believe it. I have a message that God's burned in my heart. So I have something to sing about that I believe in. And Amen. I have a person that, I, that I've encountered and know that uh, he's the fairest among 10,000. He's a real looker. And <laughs> he's worthy yeah, to man. be sung about. And so it's just like once it becomes a part of who you are, uh, it's easy to let your creative expression be about uh, the most beautiful thing you've experienced, the most beautiful person that you know. Man, man. What's, what's the craziest thing God has shown you recently? <laughs> um, let's see. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't know if it's the craziest thing, but a beautiful moment I had this year, probably the most impactful moment I had this year was January 5th, a couple days after the new year. Um, I was struggling with actually a breakup after two years was um, really struggling with anxiety, depression, and it was pressing in on me pretty hard. And um, I couldn't hear God's voice, like my peace was robbed. You know how it is, fresh off of something really hard. And you get disillusioned to, to some of the promises of God that you've heard and the future that you plan in your mind. And I, um, I was on a phone with my friend, Caleb, and he asked me, what is God saying to you, John Mark? And I, I listened and I said, I have no idea, Caleb. I can't hear God's voice right now. I'm in a puddle of anxiety. <laughs> he said, okay, uh, what is God singing over you? And so I take a moment. And as soon as I take a moment to listen, I hear God singing over me. My son, my father of many, your heart will be fully satisfied. And, and as soon as I hear that in my heart, it rings true. And I speak it out loud. And all the anxiety and depression lift off of me. All the lies that were pressing in against me leave. And I had an experiential moment with the Holy Spirit again where I could feel His presence tangibly on my body. Um, it was almost like when you're in deep pain and they give you, you know, a pain yeah. medicine and that high of coming off of pain, you're like, whoa. It was like that. It was beautiful. And I released my future to Jesus in that moment again and said, uh, I'm going to take each day, take no thought for tomorrow. I Praise trust God, man. My future, my life to you, Jesus. And, um, but the powerful thing that God's been showing me all year is the power in speaking what he's spoken. And uh, the craziest thing I think in the word mm. that he showed me is that God's word is a two-edged sword. And it doesn't return to him void. And the first edge is when he speaks it. But what makes it a second edge is when you speak it. And God's word, when he speaks it, it comes to earth. But the way it returns to yeah. him is when we speak it back. That's how it doesn't return to him void. And it's been pretty powerful and beautiful. Because uh, if you even think about what Paul said, he says, what is the benefit of grace to those who hear and don't mix it with faith? So then God's word can go void if it's not mixed with faith. But if, if it's mixed with faith, we believe it, and then we speak it. The power, that's when the power is there. It's a two-edged sword. And it was like when God spoke that out, I believed it in my heart and spoke out what he said. The power of God ignited in my room, and every spirit left my room that wasn't the Holy Spirit. And um, That's just what I've been in this year in 2020. That's fresh for me. And I've been speaking God's word, God's written word, and God, what God speaks to me. And it's a beautiful, powerful thing. I think there might, we mm. might have lost mm. some, of that, some of that beauty in the West a little bit, that there is such power in speaking God's word. It but is it's got to reverberate, man. Sword, and we need to be yeah. speaking it. I mean, I, I love the picture of that. And, and, and you know, we, I think as Christians, we have the privilege of reverberating the truth of God, right? Not allowing it to let to, to land on us and deaden on our hearts, but allow it to echo around in our spirit and in our body, man, and then just be released and, and let that thing bounce off the walls. I mean, that's, I, I, I think that that's what 
is so amazing. If somebody's listening today and you've never experienced the kind of the presence that, that John Mark is talking about, I think there's this opportunity for us to just as the scales fall off his fell off his eyes, as he said, he, you know, was reading scripture and it came alive to him. We can unplug our ears too. He can reopen up our hearts. We can remove the scar tissue away from the things that have deadened the, the love of Jesus from reverberating through our lives. And, and um, that maybe sounds really kind of spiritual, like, ooh, the vibrations or whatever. <laughs> but, but it's so, it's so alive, man. It's so <laughs> intense. This, this ability to, you know, that we've inherited to enter into the throne room and just be washed by and washed. I, I love the, the, I love the sense of it being a give and take, man. Um, you know, because it's, it's, it, it reminds me of like ocean waves, you know, it's just kind of like, it's a constant sort of washing over, but then it pulls back on the shore of, you know, of our souls. And it's such a beautiful picture, but I, I, I love that. Tell me about ABBA. Tell me about that song, man. That song is blown up for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a that's about uh, God as pops. <laughs> yeah, the first verse, um, the first line is, "I never solve all the formulas that I've created." The first verse is basically my life trying to figure out God, uh, and all those years I spent uh, longing to have a relationship with Him, and really just boiling it all down my relationship with God as a formula and um, formulaic and checking off your to-do list, you know, the empty law, you know, law-based relationship, religious life that, that is easy to, to get into in churchianity. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an empty shell. So that's the first verse. And then the pre-chorus is, you know, all I know, all I need is Abba. So that was the life-changing moment for me with God. God became a pops. Abba, all I, you know, all I know is you, all I need is you, and I belong to you. That's it. If you can, yeah, just, yeah. connect with you man how do we listen to your stuff how do we buy stuff from you you got all these cool stickers and t-shirts and albums and artwork on your site what is that it's johnmarkpantana.com right that's correct yeah that would be definitely the place to go to connect you can read my, my story there i've got a couple blog articles all my music's on there merch on there yep johnmark j-o-h-n-m-a-r-k-p-a-n-t-a-n-a.com Awesome. Yeah, there's you guys got to go check it out. Um, again, there's so many cool things on there. Plus, you get you get he, he does such a great job. Now, reading your website is like a fun event. Like, I think your web, website who designed your website, by the way. Yeah, I, I made it. I made that. you made that website. You're so talented. Yeah, so dude. Fun. You are so talented. Yeah. So, guys, listen, he is not. I don't know if he wants to start this as a side gig, but once you go to his website, you're going to want him to design <laughs> yours because I want him to design mine. So <laughs> your writing style, too, dude, is crazy, crazy cool and so easy and relatable. And I know um, on a on a on, you know, I don't know if it's on the down low or if you're totally out of the closet with this one, but you're writing a book right now, aren't you? I am writing a book. Yes, it's it's actually called Love Secrets, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah. awesome and and what pr what prompted you to do that so my first album mighty grace uh i actually wrote a, a little 
devotional to go with it. And it was just, you know, a couple paragraphs per song in the lyrics. And so many people messaged me and said, this was so impactful and helped me enjoy your music and uh, understand what you're singing even more. And uh, just so many responses. I was like, man, I should, I should write a song book with every album. Because I, yes. I love to teach and God's worth, uh, God's word and God's truth sets you free. And so I love to write. I love creative writing and I love teaching. So it seemed like a good fit. So really with every, every album I release, I'll be writing a book to go along with it to express God's heart and God's truth in a different me- wow. medium. Praise God, dude. That is so, that's, that's awesome. I'm super excited to get my hands on a copy. Also... Um, you are an incredible speaker. Um, your live stuff sounds amazing. I love the new live tracks that you have out on Spotify. Um, it sounds so amazing. You guys have to go check out Spotify. Go to his website, get a vinyl album, put it on the on the record player, put it through your, your hi-fi speaker system. Wow, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Literally, the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit oozes out the tweeters, y'all. Um, um, are you are you touring at anything? Are you putting out are you working on a new CD? We know the book is coming, but what's next for John Mark Pantana? Yeah, working on the book, actually doing a Love Secrets B set. Nice. You know, the outflow of your intimacy with the father is um, really a unique sound. I mean, I, I can hear the influence of Bon Iver and, you know, Coldplay um, in there. Um, but man, it is such an intimate place. So what a better experience than having like an intimate encounter in worship, yeah. you know, as well. Yeah. So. That all settles right with your your sweet spot, man. At least what it feels like when we're listening to you. So that's awesome. Well, dude, I had so much fun hanging out with you, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you what you're bringing to the world via your music and your relationship and your intimacy with the Father. I think it's so precious. And uh, it's been an honor to hang out with you, man. It's been great. I appreciate you greatly. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. And... Uh... Yeah, absolutely. So honored to be a part of this podcast. Thank you. Speaking of blessing, if you'd like to know when we drop our next podcast or would like to make my life a little bit brighter, please, for God's sake, smash the like button. Follow the Long Haired Pastor podcast and share it with a friend. Anything you can do to spread the word helps so much. Also, kindly throw a tip in the virtual tip jar if you had a good time and would like us to produce more fresh content. In the meantime, shine on.